0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall.
1: Finally those capitalist pigs will pay for their crimes, eh? Hey comrades, Hey! Hello, I'm a communist with a gun.
0: Greetings comrades. In the spirit of that socialism that DJ Albo's trying to bring to Kirribilli House, take a look around is taking a peek behind the iron curtain. And which curtain would that be? Why the paywall curtain! Al and I are working on some very special projects for the coming month, so we wanted to give our listeners a taste of what awaits them on the other side of our Patreon page. Here is episode 1 of Lost in the Durstverse. Durst, a life in four chapters. Stay tuned! If Marilyn Manson can walk into our town and promote hate, violence, suicide, death, drug-use, and Columbine-like behavior, I can say... fucking remix. This is a Patreon exclusive for the real Take A Look Around Pads. Thank you for tuning in to what is the first episode of Take A Look Around Presents Lost in the Durst Durst, A Life in Four Chapters. My name is Shawnee Campion, and as always, I'm joined by my faithful, beautiful, silky, creamy, and horny co-host, Alistair Bates. Thank you for coming, Alistair.
1: No worries, Shawnee, and many thank yous for having me on today for our very special episode, all about, I guess, a personal hero of ours, but who knows what we'll feel by the time we've had a look through his garbage. We've
0: plumbed the depths of the asshole that is Fred Durst.
1: And much like plumbing the depths, we are like Fred Durst arising out of the toilet bowl at Ozfest '99. Uh, we have forensically, anthropologically, and ethnographically, yeah, examined the life of one William Frederick Durst. Have a picture of Fred what's up everybody
0: it's fred durst from limp biscuit live and finally limp biscuits fred durst exchanged some heated words i wanted to punch fred in the fucking face fred durst yeah what's up how was it working with fred how was that experience maybe my favorite experience i've had he's so generous And he's such an an artist. Now, this is a project we've been banding around almost as long as we have the initial Take a Look Around project. We wanted to chart the films of Fred Durst as a director, but also examine who Fred Durst really is as a person and how that really comes across in his filmmaking. Because he's not known as a filmmaker he's known as an idiosyncratic personality and i feel that he's worth exploring because whatever he's doing in film he's just getting started this is not the last we've heard of fred durst
1: yeah i i totally agree and you know once you do really kind of peel away the superficial kind of uh new metal uh layers of skin on top of him uh, there's quite a lot To really unpack as just an artist Um, he is a surprisingly I I wouldn't say deep or or or
0: he's multifaceted
1: that's that's perfect okay
0: so before over the next few weeks we dip into the films of Fred Durst we wanted to take a look at the life of Fred Durst as juxtaposed against some of his early work as a music video director now, the best place to do that, the best place to start, as always, is at the start.
1: That's it. Um, Fred Durst grew up in Northern Carolina. He's uh, the son of a narcotics officer uh, and, a, and a homemaker. His parents split at a pretty young age, and his father moved to Jacksonville. Uh,
0: Supposedly, he they split when Fred was weeks old as well. Yeah,
1: um...
0: So he stuck around for the birth and
1: then just
0: couldn't deal with the crying, which, which is a lot, says a lot about a person. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Um, by all accounts, Fred Durst's stepfather was quite a cruel, uh, individual who bullied Fred, uh.
0: Oh yeah, he, he comes into the picture pretty quick, I think when Fred is about two years old. He was an ex-military man involved as a police officer, I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, so yeah, they were both two author- authoritarian father figures in his life. Neither who were very, um, I guess, kind to Fred. Um, as a child, Fred kind of talked about his well upon reflection of his childhood Fred Durst mentions that he was just obsessed with music from the very get go from as soon as he could remember he was just a huge fan of hardcore heavy metal and hip hop Um, oh and
0: even before that he was a massive member of the Kiss Army Lieutenant Commander William Frederick Durst of
1: the Kiss Army we salute you and thank you for your service (laughs) (laughs) um Fred claims uh, and alleges that he was the victim of uh, some pretty cruel bullying but was also racially prejudiced due to Fred's obsession with hip hop. He often found himself hanging out with uh, his school's African American students. Um, Fred was always told as a child that the music that he listened to wasn't what he should do. Uh, Fred's obsession with hip hop led to... um, his interest in beat-making, in emceeing, he became a competitive break dancer. Break
0: Breakdancing seems to have been a pretty big part of early Fred Durst's life. He started a crew around age 14, known as The Reckless Crew, in a town like... Where was he he In North Carolina. Yeah. That was just... Oh, was it Gascon? Gascon, oh, yeah. Gascon, North Carolina, yeah. where so far away from new york city or california and so long away before the dirty south really took off Mm, as as a figure in hip-hop communities durst was really trying to get this off the ground he was always never ashamed of what he was into and he was almost like a A polymath in terms of his interests, be it breakdancing, hip-hop. He wanted to stick his fingers in everything, including girls. Apparently he was very (laughs) much a ladies man. Everyone thought he was quite charming, which is something that would carry throughout his life, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, there's (laughs) definitely um, an underpinning of frustration with women in his kind of recounts of his early childhood as well. Um, Not only was, you know, as we've talked about Fred Durst's um, love of rap, when Aerosmith and Run DMC released Walk This Way it was kind of, um, you know, the it moment for him where two of his worlds collided and he realized he could kind of make rap and rock the same. Um, Some of his earliest music efforts were him rapping over loops to Stairway to Heaven's intro riff. Um, (laughs) I'm sure it's fantastic. Uh, (laughs) Fred's love of music was also, I wouldn't say eclipsed, but he devoted just as much of his love to film. He was a massive fan uh, of genre films and horror films. And in a very early Kerrang! interview, uh, he talks about how, you know, uh, his whole plan is to get from make. his whole plan as a kid was to get from making uh, music to making music videos and then from music videos to make films. He told Vulture in 2009 that ever since he was a preteen he wanted to direct movies and tell stories. Which is
0: why I feel that while a lot of people would discount Fred's life as being over and him being a has-been, uh, I think this is just getting started with fred i think that we'll be hearing about fred durst as long as you and i are alive
1: mm, i
0: think so about six years <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. um i think it's really important to kind of examine fred durst's kind of attitudes towards the bullying he received and how that's influenced him he does in a lot of things kind of try to sell himself as the underdog who's you know not so much punching but counter punching and uh returning what the anger that he has received back at other people
0: absolutely
1: Um, you know uh he he is somebody who is simultaneously terrified and scared and angry whilst wanting to have fun and uh enjoy life
0: he reminds me in a way kind of of the I-
1: every white person yeah. <laughs> every white every white guy between 1980
0: the I- the identity a lot of punks take absolutely. on which is that i'm going to have the liberty spikes i'm going to have the studded jacket i'm going to have the ripped jeans mm. but if you fuck with me it's your fault yeah
1: absolutely it's know? definitely
0: and th- that's not a bad thing. It's just a really interesting attitude to carry out into adulthood. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it also needs to be noted that when you do, when Fred does talk about his difficult upbringing, he never really kind of tones it as a sob story or, or as something to make you feel sorry for him. It, it, it's very much, I think he has a sense of appreciation for it turning him into the kind of person he is now. Um.
0: Now, now, after his interest in hip-hop, Fred became uh, a pretty ardent skateboarder and uh, led to his influence of metal and hardcore punk music like uh, Black Flag and The Bad Brains as he was getting into skateboard skateboarding culture. But in Fred's head, these two things were never separate. He's always been that polymath that you know, wants his fingers in every pie. Now, in his early life, um, around this time after finishing high school and dropping out of university, he decided to, while broke as hell, visit his biological father that he'd never actually met. So on a trip to Jacksonville, he went down and returned less than two weeks later to tell his mother, oh man, what an asshole, Fred! Fred was completely crushed by this, and a lot of it led to uh, an interest in impressing the only other father figure he had in his life at the time, which was his authoritarian police officer father. Sorry, stepfather, who was absolutely thrilled when Fred decided to join the Navy, which was a proud a proud naval
1: tradition. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, in the durst
1: family uh, his family were kind of hoping that durst's enlistment in the navy would straighten him out but unfortunately it did quite the reverse um fred talks about how he struggled with alcoholism whilst in the navy how he had a troubled marriage which from
0: oh yeah the, the troubled marriage is really interesting yeah th- i think this is very much bit a,
1: of, um, insight into maybe some of the alleged I don't know. There's just some troubling allegations of domestic violence. I, I kind of happened upon, which yeah. um
0: effectively, Fred Durst um, was in a whirlwind romance with another Navy officer, who which led to a very quick turnaround time into marriage and then having children. Uh, less than four months into the baby's life. Fred had the police called on him for jumping out of a window during a domestic violence accident for which he was arrested now people don't get arrested for jumping out of their own window and I feel like that has been kind of scrubbed a bit from the legacy of Fred Durst by publicists over the years I'm inclined to agree with Al that there's some domestic violence going on because after the arrest and his subsequent short term in jail before bailing out he uh, abandoned the relationship and has not seen the
1: woman or his daughter ever since yeah yeah it, it's a pretty scummy fucking thing sorry if you're listening fred <laughs> um, upon discharge from the navy durst returned to his father's uh his biological father as he was no longer welcome at home for being dishonorably discharged from the navy um upon arrival so this
0: is this is in jack
1: that's right yes upon arrival to jacksonville Durst began working for his father who had established a landscaping company and kind of moonlighted as a tattoo artist. Uh, It was around this time that Fred started kind of creating music again and really kind of getting himself involved in the Jacksonville kind of music scene. Uh, Jacksonville itself is a conservative town. Uh, it was ve- it was featured very recently in HBO's McMillions. Um, it's not uh, an exciting place. It's in the middle of a swamp. It's like Florida's second or third largest city. So, uh,
0: if if people want a context that's not HBO's McMillions, think Tiger King.
1: This yeah, is Tiger King yeah, country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, this is kind of where Fred once again really starts getting into music he he fronts a whole bunch of bands that are unsuccessful and the only notable thing uh uh he meets sam rivers the bass player who uh his cousin john otto is the drummer uh, around this time
0: john otto take it to the matthews bridge <laughs> john otto
1: we salute you and thank you for your service it's around this time that uh, the kind of prim- primordial stages of Limp Bizkit where through Sam Rivers Fred is introduced to uh, the person who would kind of become his creative foil and as much as they probably don't like this I'm sure in their old age maybe they've come to accept it but uh, there was definitely a lot of animosity between them uh, Fred meets Wes Borland who by both of their accounts, they could not have been any more opposite. Fred, uh, of course, being...
0: Wes Borland, for our listeners, being the incredibly theatrical and bizarre guitar player
1: yeah.
0: of Limp Biscuit who feels like he's wandered off an episode of star trek <laughs> yeah. while everyone else has wandered off an episode of trailer park absolutely
1: Plays. and as i said by both their accounts they could not have been any more different like uh, fred of course was a meathead super into heavy metal whilst wes borland was an art school student who aside from playing guitar loved his sewing machine and makeup um they bonded over the weirdest thing Which was Their love of hip hop Which isn't weird But they both realised They were huge Primus super fans One night Whilst getting... Oh I hate that <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Oh yeah. That sucks yeah, man.
0: <laughs> Do we have to finish This mini series I'm already Oh happy. yeah
1: The Primus has left A bad taste <laughs> in your mouth Um It was a, around
0: <laughs> Not Not the ten weeks Of new <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's just A single mention
1: of Um porn, Around that? this time Fred Durst was, uh, yeah, really sinking a lot of his creative time into tattooing. Uh, it was in tattooing that he managed to become acquainted with Korn, uh, the, of course, grandfathers of Nu Metal. Korn, anytime... by
0: all accounts, the, um, by all accounts, the introduction is that after playing a particularly sweaty show and just wanting to relax the members of Korn went out to their tour bus to find Fred Durst smiling from ear to ear standing in the doorway with a cassette demo of his band and insisting that he could tattoo them uh, He they proceeded to spend the night getting particularly drunk where he tattooed uh, Brian Head Welch the guitar player for Korn and Fieldy, who had, didn't have any other tattoos, and by all accounts, the tattoos were terrible. <laughs>
1: um,
0: what, however, left a lasting impression was William Frederick Durst on the members of Corn. That's it. So,
1: yeah, uh, any time for a few years that Corn would come back to Jacksonville, uh, they would... Fred Durst would always put them up, and they, a kind of small friendship formed. Fred, at one point, did a small stint as their rodeo... Around the southern states. Um, it...
0: Whenever they toured, he'd always have a new demo yeah. tape waiting for them. Now, whenever, for the first few years, they were pretty upfront with Fred that it just wasn't working out. But by the time of Wes Borland's uh, entering the picture and becoming the guitar player for Limp Bizkit, something clicked. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And it was at this time. Uh, where they finally had an adequate demo, uh, Korn invited them on tour, uh, not only as roadies but also as the opening act for um, I think their southern leg of the show uh, of their shows. Um, it was on this tour that Ross Robinson, the mega producer of some of the greatest I guess metal albums and uh, heavy albums of all time, was given, uh, with Bizkit's demo by Head and Fieldy, and he was instantly taken away with their hot, cool, funky new sound. <laughs> um, uh, Robinson describes what he heard as uh, uh, Metallica-style riffs or vulgar display of power being wrapped over by Rage Against the Machine or KRS-One. Uh, he, he just was amazed and could not really figure out what it, what it was about this band. And Durst himself kind of says that Link Biscuit and to a lesser extent maybe Lincoln Park were the younger brothers to Korn and Deathtones, and maybe a part of the second wave of new Metal. Um, the buzz that kind of stirred around this demo is what got them signed to Interscope originally. They picked up a pretty, pretty strong word-of-mouth buzz. So by the time that Faith was released as an actual ma- uh, major label single, um,
0: Faith of course being a cover of the George Michael classic. Yeah, which
1: I guess you know This is
0: probably the beginning of Limp Biscuit uh, interesting relationship. When New Metal's interesting relationship with covers in general.
1: Free,
0: free, so Faith was an early an early hit for Limp Biscuit and established them as a rising star within metal and kind of the landscape, as it were. Its video clip, directed by Durst himself, um, got some airplay on MTV, and it became noticeable that this style of music, along with Korn, the Deftones, as mentioned before, and some of their other contemporaries, was starting to rise on. The um, uh, was was on the rise and was interesting. It'd be Limp Biscuit's second album,
1: Significant Other*, which of course had their, uh, I guess, magnum opus, their hit single, the *Nookie*.
0: To really describe it in terms of what it must have been like around the time it came out, not only was it a rallying call, an anthem, and a pop hit, but Nookie really encapsulated this era and this rise of style and tone of new metal. It'd probably be the biggest of the early hits for new metal and would really put Limp Bizkit on the map, along with Fred Durst himself as an interesting figure to watch out for in the pop music landscape Mm,
1: absolutely i mean it's so this 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 song itself is so so contradictory in the sense of it being so kind of emotionally sensitive whilst being
0: uh, just emotion emotionally flat (laughs)
1: like Yeah, I mean, the song's general conceit is, uh, he is living better than his ex-girlfriend, uh, and he is confessing that he only slept with his ex-girlfriend because of the nookie. What? What? The nookie. Ha! The nookie. And you can take that cookie.
0: (laughs) Now, so really, Fred Durst, at this point, his claims is that the record label told him he had to make the film clip because he'd insisted that he would be such a brilliant filmmaker i call a bit of bullshit on that for you know even in the heady coked up days of the late 90s record industry i still feel like he would have had to insist
1: he had um he directed a corn video around that time Which I can't remember what the fucking song was I'm going to look up and then re-say um, I think him getting the Nookie video Was because he directed uh, the video clip For uh, Falling Away From Me
0: Oh for po- real That's yeah, a good song yeah.
1: It is, and I mean, that's a classic film clip as well, like, with the whole bullet holes and stuff in the wall. Um, That's
0: Freak on a Leash, dude.
1: Oh, well, it's the same shit, man. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Um, yeah, so I guess Falling Away From Me, which was a huge success for Korn, so I'm willing to believe that the record label probably had a bit of um, faith in Fred Durst and kind of allowed him to go carte blanche. I don't think you could get many other directors to make a video where everybody else that isn't your band member dress like you and walk around like you and pretend to like you (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: so basically the conceit of this video clip is that Fred Durst upon waking up and wandering into the street starts being followed by women that he initially feels is um you know a little strange but then starts to kind of embrace this idea of him as this masculine leader of women all intercut with footage of the rest of the band (laughs) setting up the musical equipment and playing a show for their diehard male fans now this part in part you know A addresses Fred's narcissism and B addresses Fred's you know attitudes towards women as well he I before delving into the life of Fred had no idea about his failed marriage or anything like that or even his age at the time he's really kind of presented himself as a blank slate he's got problems just like you but he wants everyone to know
1: that he yeah, doesn't give I, a fuck. it's so crazy, I finding out that he was like 51 fucking <laughs> threw me for a fucking just the fact that the man who made teenage music is my age now uh, you, when he made this, he would have been like 31 or 30 or No, something. you're kidding. So, really? <laughs> no, I'm not at all. So it's just this oh. like, it's just such a, it, it's just the attitudes towards, it. it it's just misogyny. Yeah. It's just narcissistic misogyny. His
0: Arrested <laughs> Development is on display. Now, this is yeah. technically quite polished clip i'm sure yeah it's
1: very well directed yeah
0: i'm sure that you know the record label would have had a lot of you know like people involved that would have made sure because this needed to be an mtv staple as trl was the hottest thing on everyone's lips at this time now so everything really works with this film clip it all comes together with this a massive posse of women that have turned into a Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade, all embarking on the, the Limp Bizkit concert. And Fred jumps up onto the mic in front of the fans that are now a mixture of all the women wearing his trademark backwards hat and all their adoring male fans. It, it all comes together. Like it's, it's a good little clip. And if you wanted to get teenage boys on on top of this which is what they were going for then they've succeeded yeah
1: totally it's uh that valuable 13 to 22 demo so
0: really i feel like there's a few things on display in this video clip that chart this for where it is in terms of limp biscuits career and fred durst's life basically he's angry that his marriage fell apart so women have to want him he's angry about the fact that his life didn't pan... his early life didn't pan out the way he wanted it to so instead of being arrested for domestic violence or discharged for being alcoholic he's arrested at the en- end of the film clip for r- causing a riot and for being arrested for being too creative <laughs> yeah. he is the architect of his own destiny and he wants he wants to rewrite his own past through his own future.
1: It's like the most Ayn Randian kind of uh, you are punishing the creator for being creative, but let it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> if any of our listeners out there want to Google Ayn Rand Limp Biscuit and tell us what the results are, we'd love to hear from
1: you. <laughs> this is kind of where it really took off uh, for Limp Biscuit and Dust. Fuck you! Fuck! Uh, I'm sorry, I'm having a tretstad dad moment. Uh, so this is kind of where Fred Durst and Lynn Biscuit kind of went into stratospheric heights. Uh, Fred's career, uh, not only as a frontman, but as a media personality, and a uh, video clip director really took off. Um, it's, Fred,
0: it's not a stretch to call him a media personality, is it? He was, No, not at all. He, he had a look... He was the voice of an emerging generation. Uh, around this time, I mean, this uh, nookie would have been June 99. September of uh, 2000 would have seen Zoolander, uh, most famous for being released the same day as the September 11th attacks. Oh, no, that's 2001, isn't it? Well, but...
1: Sorry, um, I don't mind going. I, I guess a big thing about Fred Durst... In regards to video clip directing, was that already at that point of his career he was kind of aware that there that that Limp Biscuit's permanence is not going to be a forever thing. He kind of, in an interview, really pointed out, and and this was at the time at ninety nine pointed out that you know ten years after the fact no one approaches Skid Row or Warrant to make movies and how. He kind of has seen Limp Biscuit as just a vehicle for him to get into film directing or making movies. That's really interesting. It was around this time, I
0: didn't—I I, yeah. never really thought about it like that. It,
1: it was around this time that he um, started pitching scripts and film ideas. Uh, MTV themselves were interested in production of film at this point in the early noughties. They were trying to corner of the film market, which they had done in films like Orange County, uh, the Beavis and Butthead movie, Um, he was uh, in the middle of production for a kind of movie he described as Easy Rider meets The Breakfast Club, Uh, it was called Road Rules. Uh, and it was later changed this to isn't just, the name of... Nature. This isn't
0: just Road Trip, is it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, um, it's Easy Rider, dude.
0: It stars Tom Green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: eventually the name of this film changed to Nature's Care. Uh, Warner Brothers agreed to create and finance this movie and it wasn't until the very last kind of minute that it was all pulled away. Uh, at this time... Fred Durst was trying to shape himself into, and in his own words, a Dr. Dre meets Steven Spielberg kind oh, of person. Off, That's cunt. all me, all the way. <laughs> what a dipshit. Um, I guess this is kind of the, also the beginning of um, his he, as somebody who's kind of putting himself out there. I, you know, you're you're you tend to uh, have detractors. Oh, for um, sure.
0: This is. I talked before about him being a face in the media but even at his height in the media he was never looked upon as someone that was, you know that was, that you'd go to for any reliable opinion he was, he was a a, a mockery
1: yeah, absolutely a mischievous Um, imp but but at this point as well which is Something I found incredibly interesting for someone you think wouldn't, there was this kind of tinge of self awareness for Fred Durst, where he did realize that, um, you know, he had become a rock star and was, you know, having these bizarre existential crises at the Playboy <laughs> Mansion and stuff, and realized thus, uh, how insane and so ridiculous it kind of all is. The film clip, for, Rolling, the single off the next album, uh, even parodies the Nookie video and uh, only exaggerates the stuff that that was detracted upon with the women dressed like Fred Durst, dancing like Fred Durst. Now it must
0: have been incredibly hard for him to have been the voice of A, a new generation of fans that were holding on to his every word but at the same time what he was really interested in was the admiration of interest of hollywood and the pop landscape who kind of saw him as a dancing bear and
1: a yeah yeah
0: figure and to kind of manage to keep himself relevant to both of those two communities while not pandering to yeah either one.
1: he definitely kind of uh as, as you said a kind of a clown he, he talks in this era about realizing his whole appearance is like a clown costume and that everyone you know what he just wore normally has now become um, you know uh, very in vogue and everyone's dressing like he is now and he's watching bullies beat up people dressed up like him and he's having these just kind of Holy shit, I'm just a kid from the farms in North Carolina, and now there are people who used to, like, make fun of me, doing me, and, you know, I, I think hot dog flavoured water uh, and the film clips around that time really kind of showed a reflective kind of...
0: But I... F- I call a little bit of bullshit on this because he's getting everything he ever wanted handed to him and he is lapping it up at every opportunity because it's not like he had to fucking do rocket scientists rocket science to become this person. He literally had to do dick and fart jokes and emerge from the toilet and start the riots at Woodstock 99. He um Yeah, he's. This is this is peak shithead dust. His
1: his (laughs) time
0: to reflect is not yet here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which is so crazy, but like, you know, just at interviews, I, I at the interviews of this time, he does seem kind of not dejected, but um. Uh he's just hyper aware of how ridiculous everything is (laughs) and and yeah uh, and the video for rolling as i said just kind of hyper exaggerated the ridiculousness of of limp biscuit to that point now
0: before we go into the film clip itself it bears talking about something that became a very large part of fred durst's life during his media i wouldn't say darling his um Media shithead era is the is the many romances of fred durst yeah there's a very famous um kind of no one's ever really sure about what really happened but fred durst is adamant that he had a relationship with britney spears who was, at this time, the height of her powers. This is post-oops, I did it again, pre-toxic Brittany. This is the biggest woman on the planet era. Right.
1: I mean she dated that Kevin Federline dude forever like I think she's got a thing for fucking trashy gross dudes so <laughs>
0: what's funny though is that while Fred Durst is always ready to talk about it she has always been mum's the word about it and even though she dated Kevin Federline and it was all over the tabloids she and she was ready to admit the failings of that, what, one-day relationship (laughs) and the fallout from it. She has never, ever said a single word about what happened with
1: Fred Oh, God, I do not blame her. (laughs) Um.
0: A few few others that would have been charted in this time was Christina Aguilera as well and um, Halle Berry after the film clip for gothica single uh, behind blue eyes Uh, my favorite of the bunch though is easily him hitting on an 18 year old Avril Lavigne (laughs) talking to her about White Castle hamburgers and when she said she liked them he sent someone across town to literally buy a shipping pallet of white castle hamburgers to have delivered backstage (laughs) now we'll put up these photos on the instagram of the night that this supposedly happened where he's hanging out with avril and her face is classic (laughs) if you like women being uncomfortable which i know that alistair bates does you're gonna (laughs) love these photos
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's nuts that how big of a celebrity this guy forced himself into being. Um, I
0: don't think all of it is forcing. Um, I think we're looking at a 30, 70 percent. 30 of it was him forcing it and 70 percent was the media wanting a mischievous imp to hang shit Well,
1: that's it as well. I mean, compared to, uh every other new metal band by Fred Durst's account, Limp Bizkit always set out to be fun instead of kind of a dour, angsty, uh... You know, I think Fred Durst wanted to make music for everybody whilst, you know, other new metal bands definitely had a, uh... maladjusted teen um, audience in mind rather than just making, like, good fun pop music.
0: Yeah, like, compare um, Roland back-to-back with um crawling in my skin by limp biscuit or last resort by papa roach you know they are they are just polar opposites of each other in the same genre
1: yeah and it was kind of around this time as well that he did ingratiate himself within celebrity culture uh you know Not only did the Break Stuff video have cameos from Eminem, Snoop Dogg, and Richard Lewis, of all people. (laughs) (laughs) The rolling video clip stars, uh, at the very start, Ben Stiller and our very own Steven Dorff aka Deacon Frost
0: Deacon motherfucking (laughs) Frost
1: but I mean in other music videos you'd have Bill Paxton and Halle Berry uh, just you know like proper actors or character actors have just kind of circled around him
0: Roland the film clip speak
1: on it. I guess, as I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, Durst's kind of sense of self-awareness and willingness to hyper-exaggerate what people thought were his worst tendencies uh, are really kind of on display in this music video. Uh, It's essentially beat for beat Nookie, but instead of getting followed by Chicks, it's just uh, him and Limp Bizkit doing sweet doughies in uh, Ben Stiller's Bentley uh, and well
0: the way I saw it was that if Nookie was his rise to fame then Roland is his attitude towards yeah. fame it's that he ben, ben Stiller and Steven Dorf hand him the keys to the Mercedes and tell him not to scratch it and he's like the media let me in i'm going to yeah. be myself because you gave me yeah, the keys quote. and if that means rocking <laughs> on top of the twin towers i shit you not this film clip takes place on the top of yeah. the twin towers oh,
1: it's so nuts I, i'm just i mean was this covered in zeitgeist is <laughs> can we trace fred durst back to any of the uh Jet fuel the don't melt steel beans kind of stuff. Well,
0: when um uh, Osama bin Laden cave was uncovered and he was killed um they found that he was actually arguing with people on youtube videos and things like that in his search history and they actually found that he'd listened to the film clip to roll an air raid vehicle by limp biscuit 194 times wow man of
1: good taste (laughs) None of that's
0: true. I just feel like this is the peak of western decadence at the Absolutely, time. Absolutely. And if you just caught this out of the corner of your eye while you were eating flatbread, and couple, <laughs> yeah. you'd be like, that's, that's it, that's thing. what I'm gonna bomb. But around. Th-
1: <laughs> 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 that, the lip biscuit thing, we're bombing that. But around this time, Durst's kind of video making skills really also get further refined. The follow up single, to Bowl, in, My Way. You think you're special? I think, personally, it's a fantastic video, in the sense that it's kind of... Ex- it expertly pastiches a whole lot of, like, 40 or 50 years of popular culture, uh, and it does it just simultaneously straight-faced, but also just so tongue-in-cheek, and kind of aware of how ridiculous um, it is. I mean, I guess if that's anything, if, if, if you can say anything about Limp Biscuit Is that they are just a sponge of culture... That excrete fucking soapy discharge of... Uh, of...
0: Well, it's absolutely yeah. true... They've always been able to take a product and frame it into their lens as a pastiche and spill something out. I mean, the very name of our parent podcast, Take a Look Around, is them being handed the Mission Impossible theme song and told, hey, turn this into something that'll appeal to kids with cystic acne and a stepdad. Yeah, exactly. So the film clip to Roland would be a real not so much an evolution but a logical continuation in what was going on in Limp Bizkit's career and Fred Durst as a media personality and uh, in the year 2001 after Fred's uh, work on the Roland film clip and even his appearance in Zoolander playing none other than himself Fred Durst in a pastiche of celebrity culture the Roland film clip would be nominated for Best Rock Video at the MTV Music Awards, uh, beating out Rage Against the Machine. Now, famously Tim Commerford, the bass player for Rage Against the Machine, would climb the set behind them when Fred Durst and the band entered the stage to accept their award.
1: And we got a, a madman. I wanted to bring the whole thing down, but they didn't move. In my mind, I visualized the whole structure on the ground, you know, and the next time they came out from commercial break, I wanted people to see destruction.
0: This guy is rock and roll. He should be getting the award. Tune in next week on the Patreon for the most hated band in the world, part two of Lost in the Durst First, Fred Durst, A Life in Four Chapters.
1: All I can say is that when we were on stage, our experience was it was the
0: greatest concert of all time. And I had no idea that the finger would be pointed at me as a guy starting a riot. But I guess, you know, to this day, it's going to be something that Limp Biscuit f***ed up. Now I'm just going to take a quick piss and have a beer and then let's do a little waka waka wah and talk about the film clip.